What's up, Fathom fam? Welcome to the weekly Sunday Sermon Podcast. You can follow us to stay up to date on everything going on at Fathom on the Church Center app, Instagram, or YouTube, our Facebook page, or our Fathom Fam Facebook group. We hope to see you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into the message. Thanks for being here today. Well, good morning, Fathom Church. Thank goodness for long announcements. My computer literally just froze and I restarted the whole thing while he was talking. So uh, that was amazing and uh, terrifying all at the same time. A lot of emotions happening up here right now. Um, If you are new with us here at Fathom, my name is Andrew Steyer. I just go here. And um, I've been a youth pastor in the past, and so I know I'm not anybody special. I just go here. I just, and, and you can talk to me about connect groups and things like that, anchor groups, and I'd love to talk to you about those. But Kyle asked me to bring the message this morning, and I was so honored to do that. And so uh, if you didn't know it wasn't going to be Kyle, and this is your first Sunday, I'm not Kyle. So if you don't like it, come back next week, and uh, Kyle will be back. Let's start. Uh, Kyle started yesterday, last week with a bit of a, a musical theme. Um, I'm not going to play any songs for you, but there is a song by a band called Panic at the Disco, um, and it's called something like Mama, I Made It. You know the song I'm talking about? Some of you do. Some of you are dating yourselves. Um, or just, you know, not, not, not as hip as the rest of us. But there's this phrase. Have you ever heard the phrase, Mama, I Made It? Have you heard that? What, is that, what does that really mean? It means something like, look, look how far I've come, right? Hey, Mama, I made it. I used to be nothing, now I'm something. But not just something, I'm something special. Look, mama, look at your child now, all grown up and rocking it, right? The cars, the the life, the family, the status, the money. Look, mama, I made it. Now, it's a silly little phrase. I've heard it in songs or, you know, just kind of videos, things like that. But, But let's take a second and think about it. Let's think about the that just phrase just a little bit uh, deeper, the motivation behind it. Hey, I, I made something of myself. I'm, I'm worth something now. People are recognizing me. I, I have status. I have power. I have attention. People want to be like me. Look, Mama, I made it. I'm finally here. And we take the time to kind of pull that statement apart. We begin to hear those deeper desires. We, we might begin to notice something. I know, I know that I sure do. And that's a longing. Do you hear that in those words? A longing to be something special, to thrive, to win, to succeed. Anyone with me? Right, I know I didn't open with a joke, um, but, but are you tracking with me? Do you, do you feel those sentiments ever? A longing to be something more than you are right now? Like, to really win at life? Maybe you look on social media, and you see a uh, wonderful social media. Uh, you see a picture uh, of a picture-perfect mom and her picture-perfect children having a picture-perfect afternoon in the picture-perfect park. And you wonder, why can't that be me? That must be her whole life. She's winning. Maybe someone rolls up in a new car, and you think, well, I wish I could have nicer things. Look at all this junk that I've got. I wish that could be me. Look, they're, they're winning, and, and I'm not. I don't, I don't know where you're at right now, this morning, but I'm, I'm venturing a guess that sometimes those are some of the thoughts that creep in and latch onto our hearts, because they do in my 
part, if I'm being really honest. It's almost impossible to walk around and not struggle with that. So I want to start here this morning because sometimes our definition of success and winning can really get in the way of our relationship with God. Have you noticed that? And other people, by the way, get, rid of, get in the way of our relationship with them. We're in this series called uh, Faithful in Babylon, and, and uh, right now we're walking through the story of the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And Kyle did an awesome job last week of walking through the first half of his life. If you missed that message, you can go back and catch it online. Kind of the trials and the injustices that Joseph faced. But before we open up the word and get to the second half of the story, I want to ask something of you this morning. Um, and it's, it might seem a little weird to some of you. Um, to others, it'll be totally normal because you're new to church, and that's awesome, and we're so glad that you're here. But I'm a church kid. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid, right? I, I, I've heard this story a thousand times. I want you to do this for me. I want you to forget that you've ever heard this story. I want you to try to hear it with fresh ears. Can you do that for me? Because, because it might be hard if you grew up in church. It might be hard if you've heard this story before. And the reason that I say that is because that sometimes we, we decide what, what it means because we've heard it before. And so if anyone comes back and, and tells it again, we kind of shut down going, well, I already know this story. Like, I learned this story before, so I already kind of know what it, what it means and kind of close ourselves off to what God might want to do in this season with this story. Because you haven't heard the story right now, have you? Well, you're reading it. <laughs> so maybe that doesn't make any sense. Um, we're going to tackle the story of Joseph a bit differently than maybe you've heard it before in the past. I'm going to stay incredibly faithful to the text. I might be coming at it from a little bit of a different direction. It'll possibly challenge you and cause you to kind of really think. And ultimately, I, I, I believe it'll give us some really good insight into this deep longing for success that we talked about just a minute ago. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? I'm going to ask for some help up here, and then we're going to get rolling. Father, we love you. We know that you have good things for us in your word. Would you open our minds and our hearts to hear those? Not just to hear them, but to understand them, and then to apply them to our lives, God. We ask that you shake us up a little bit, if we need to be, we ask that you would help us to take a next step in our relationship with you this morning through this text. We love you in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so story of Joseph. If you weren't here last week or if you actually just took me up on my offer and you just wiped the slate clean and you don't remember anything about this story so far, let's do a little bit of a recap. Joseph is the favorite son of his father, Jacob, and he's been betrayed. He's been betrayed big time. God gave Joseph these dreams, dreams that uh, Joseph relayed to his family, dreams about Joseph rising to power and his family bowing down before him. His brothers didn't like that too much. He had a bunch of brothers. I don't have any brothers, but I have sisters, so they were always nice to me. But any of you with brothers, you know, right? Um, so his brothers didn't like that very much, and so they planned to kill him. And they ripped this gift, this coat from his back that, that his father had given him. They ripped it from his back and they, they tore it up. They covered it in, in, in the blood of an animal to trick the father into thinking, your son is dead. And they threw him into a well. They decided not to kill him. They threw him into a well, a cistern, content to let him die there. But not long after, they saw the opportunity to profit from this and they sold Joseph into slavery. And they sold him and he ended up in 
the most powerful nation that the world had ever seen to this day. Like, the epitome of all technology, culture, and power, and that's Egypt. That's Egypt. Nowhere in the series Faithful in Babylon. This is Babylon before Babylon was cool, right? Egypt is the hipster Babylon. <laughs> Did you like that, Kyle? Thanks. So this is a land of pagan gods, a land of idol worship, a land that is foreign, far from his family and his home in Canaan. That's where God had brought his family. And in Egypt, Joseph was purchased by a man named Potiphar, a high-ranking Egyptian official. He worked dutifully for his master, Potiphar, and he, he brought great success to everything that Potiphar did to his household for years until he was accused of something that he didn't do, assaulting Potiphar's wife. And he was sent to prison. But as the story goes, Joseph was faithful in prison just like he was in Potiphar's house, and, and he rose through the ranks. His circumstances couldn't keep him down. He trusted in the Lord and was blessed. And eventually comes out that uh, Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams, and he finds himself in front of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the most powerful country that's ever existed, the most powerful man in the world. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and he comes up with a plan to combat this coming famine that is uh, coming to Egypt. And that's where I want to pick up today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 41, verse 37, or it's going to be up on the screens. It says this. This is where we pick up. It says this. The plan that Joseph suggested seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way! Thus Pharaoh put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word... No one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphanath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. And so here's how we typically read the story. We see this part of the story and we begin to celebrate, Right? Because Joseph was faithful when his brothers tried to kill him. He was faithful when he was sold into slavery. He was faithful while working for Potiphar. He was faithful when he faced temptation. He was faithful when he was falsely accused. He was faithful in prison, and he was faithful in front of Pharaoh. And so now, because of his faithfulness, mama, he made it. Right? Look at, look at this boy now. He's a boss now. He's rich. He's powerful. He's got a new wife. He's got a new ring, new robe, new gold chain. He rides around in a new chariot. He made it from humble beginnings to power, all because of his faithfulness to God. That's how sometimes we tell the story of Joseph. But what if I told you that we're reading it wrong or incompletely, maybe, is a better word? 
Let's look at it again. Let's see if he's really made it. As I was preparing, I was listening to an amazing sermon by a pastor named Vodi Bakum. He has a sermon uh, on this very thing, and, and, and uh, he spells a lot of this out. I would, I mean, after this, go listen to it. Don't listen to that before this. Um, listen to it afterwards, <laughs> all right? Um, but we, we, we see Joseph rising to prominence in, in Egypt as a reward for his faithfulness. We call him successful and blessed beyond belief, but zoom out, okay? First, he's serving a king who claims to be God. Joseph is claiming Yahweh God, but Pharaoh thinks that he's God, and he lives in a land of many gods. So we can't assume that Pharaoh has just gained a full understanding of the one true God of Scripture. And then after this interaction where he tells Joseph, because the Spirit of God lives in you, we can't just assume Pharaoh doesn't immediately become a follower of Yahweh, does he? No, no, he, he doesn't. So as far as Pharaoh's claim that God has gifted Joseph, wrong God. He's in the wrong land. He's far from his family. He's a Canaanite, the land given to his people, wrong land. He's wearing the wrong ring. He had a robe, and it wasn't this one. So he has the wrong robe, the wrong chain. His robe symbolized his father's love. It was ripped from him. He's given one by Pharaoh. His Hebrew covenant name has been taken from him. He's given a new Egyptian one, Zaphoneth Paneah. It's the wrong name. He's got the wrong wife, daughter of a pagan priest. So has he made it? Did his faithfulness lead him here? Is this his reward for all those years of faithfulness to God? Now, I completely understand that God has been moving and working in the background through all of this, and Joseph has been faithful. Don't misunderstand me. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the, the story of Joseph is not over. Like, it's not, not all tied up just because he got some stuff. Joseph didn't, doesn't get to stop being faithful because it seems like he made it because these things are the blessings of Babylon. They're not the blessings of the Lord. We're using that term Babylon in this series to, to mean not your home, right? A foreign land. Sure, it's Egypt, but it's Babylon. Joseph is a stranger in this land. It doesn't matter if he's risen to power in this Babylon. It's still not his true reward. So, so let's break from the story. That's a, that's a lot of story. Let's talk about us for a second. What do we do with this? See, when we look out at the world and we say, oh, I want to look like that, I want to have that, I want to be gifted like that, have that platform, have that job, what are we really striving for? Let's, let's stop and ask that kind of hard question. So often we're striving for the blessings of Babylon. And where we can really get it twisted is when we begin to think that faithfulness to God is how we achieve those blessings and that's how the enemy likes to do things. He sprinkles just enough truth into our theology to lead us astray without us ever knowing it. Work hard for God, and then you can die comfortably. You can get all that this world has to offer if you're just faithful. But that's the goal, not him. Isn't that, isn't that almost the truth? Because God does bless, doesn't he? 
Since when has making it or winning in life ever been the point of following Jesus or being faithful to God? In fact, we see a lot of those who have made it in the New Testament get schooled by Jesus who says, you missed it, right? Think of the rich young ruler from Matthew chapter 19. He's got, he doesn't have a name. He has three descriptors, rich young ruler, right? So he's got money. He's got his whole life out in front of him, and he's got a kingdom, right? Rich young ruler. And Jesus, Jesus said, he, he's, he's made it by this world standard. So Jesus says, oh, and, and uh, to, to, to get into heaven, to fo- you have to sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then follow me. And the man walks away sad. Why? Because of his great wealth. The cost was too great. Jesus said, faithfulness doesn't end when you've made it. You know what? Sometimes that's actually the beginning of faithfulness. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's easier to have faith and obey God when things are hard because that's all you've got, right? You ever wonder why people in America struggle with faith? When you look at other countries, third world countries, and people are like rock solid believers, and you're like, but you have nothing you could consider a blessing. And they say you have too much that you consider a blessing. You've lost, you've lost your sight on God. They said, God's all I got. You got two cars. You got a fridge full of groceries. But, but when the blessings of Babylon come raining down, right, the good things that this world has to offer, when there's money in the bank account, when the kids are getting straight A's and behaving just perfectly, it's easy to take our eyes off of Christ and just enjoy life, right? I mean, you earned it. I earned it. I was faithful. And now I can enjoy the fruit of my faithfulness for a little while. Let's coast for a little while, right? Am I, am I crazy? Am I the only one, right? Let me, let me just, I, I, I've been so faithful and, and so faithful to God. I've had my eyes on him now that things are good. I deserve this stuff. I put in my time being obedient and being faithful. Let me just take a minute and enjoy what this world has to offer me. God, I'll come back. I will. But we're called to be faithful, friends, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, right? Let's jump back into our story. How does Joseph handle all this new power and authority? Beginning in verse 50, it says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph has kids. And another thing that Vodi points out in this sermon that I think is such, so, so wonderful is that he gives his kids Hebrew names, not Egyptian names. Hmm. He says, you, you may change my name, but not the name of my boys. He gives them Hebrew names, and and Hebrew names that reveal a lot about his mindset at this particular time. So his first son is named Manasseh. God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. His first son, given a Hebrew covenant name, Yahweh honoring name, shows us that Joseph has let all the betrayal and the hardships that caused by his brothers, he's let it go. God has helped me to forget what they did to me. But he has not forsaken his God. Do, do you see the connection there? I forgot it, but I didn't abandon it. 
He doesn't hold on to it. It hasn't caused him to jump headlong into Egyptian culture, because he could, couldn't he? Like, he has everything now. But we see, just with the naming of his son, he didn't do that. God has caused him to let it go and remain faithful to the Lord in this new land. He has every right to be bitter, every right to be cynical. He was betrayed, wasn't he? Big time. He's suffered a lot, but he doesn't hold on to those things. His faithfulness in a good God allows him to lay down bitterness and cynicism and anger and hurt. You see how, see how that works? Okay, ready? You got any bitterness going on right now? Do you have any completely justifiable bitterness? Have you been wounded? Has someone hurt you? I have like images of people from my past popping into my head right now. Do you? Maybe, maybe you do. And, and by the world's standards, they do deserve your anger. Like, like 10 out of 10 people would say, oh yeah, they did you, did you dirty. Like they did you wrong. They deserve your anger. They deserve your bitterness and cynicism. They should apologize to, to you. Maybe they never said sorry. No one would know better than Joseph, right? And yet he names his son. I let that stuff go. Faithful. His second son actually might show us a greater truth, Ephraim. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction or the land of my suffering. I'm sorry, the land of your what? Your suffering. You are second in command to Pharaoh himself. An argument could be made that you are the second most powerful person in the world. But, but Joseph knows this isn't his true home, right? His home is in the land of Yahweh God, where his people are. He knows his faithfulness is not over. Do you see that? Oh, what we learn from a name. Joseph doesn't see his rise to power as a reward. He sees it as just another area to be faithful, just like Potiphar's house, just like prison. Think of it this way. Oh, we're doing house chores today, God? Cool. I'll be faithful, and you'll help me to be fruitful. Oh, okay. We're going to prison today, God? Oh, cool. I'll be faithful, and you'll help me to be fruitful. What's that? I get to be in charge of literally everybody? I, 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 I'm going to be rich now. I'm getting a new wife and a new life. Cool. I'll be faithful and you'll help me to be fruitful. He does the exact thing over and over and over and over again. He's faithful no matter his situation. It reminds me of another guy who said some of these same things, the apostle Paul. I'm going to read you a couple of passages, all right? First from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this. He says, uh, hey, so five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, right? 40 was supposed to kill you, so they're like, let's do 39. Five times. Someone do that math. All right, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. Everybody's trying to kill me, right? In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. So everywhere they're trying to kill me. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything. Everything else I am faced daily, faced daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, that's Paul. 
the same guy from Philippians, a letter he writes as he's in jail, waiting to die at the hands of the Romans, he says this, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I go hungry, whether I'm living in plenty, whether I'm riding in a chariot or in want, if I'm in the dungeon. And then the verse, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You might know it as, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean you can lift those heavy weights. It means that you can bear faithfully whatever this world throws at you because you have a good God. We see it in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of Joseph. Paul was not fulfilled by the blessings of Babylon, by the blessings of Egypt, by the blessings of Rome or wherever. He turned to Christ as his source of strength, just like Joseph. And that's my plea this morning, friends, for you and and, and for me, that we would turn to Christ and remain faithful in all things. Because if we took a poll, we are in radically different circumstances right now. And yet here we are, and I can say the same thing, and it applies to each and every one of you, as well as myself. See, Paul knew this was not his home. Joseph knew that Egypt was not his home. The question we have to wrestle with is, do we know that this is not our home? Or do we have that same longing and that desire to find our worth in the things of this world? Do we claim Christ with our mouth, but we run after status and money and comfort with our hearts? I think we didn't plan it, but as Kyle said earlier, we need to examine ourselves. See, the Bible calls us aliens, sojourners, journeymen in this world. We're just passing through on our way to our home. We're called to be in this world, not of this world, the land of our affliction. Ephraim, remember? And so we keep our eyes focused on God, just like Joseph did. And when our eyes are focused on God, we can let the injustices of this world go, can't we? All those people that we just thought of, all those situations, we can let that go, Manasseh, right? We can forgive. Let's jump back into Joseph's story and see his example for us. See, the land has seen seven years of plenty. Thanks to Joseph, Egypt has lots of food for the following seven years of famine. But not everyone saved grain, right? Not not every country, not every land, not every people saved grain. So we've seen some familiar faces show up to get food from Joseph, and it's his brothers, the traitors, the murderers, right? And now they want food from Joseph's land. And he immediately recognizes them, but uh, they don't recognize him. Stop. You know yourself better than I do. How easy would it be for you to be petty? If there's one thing running rampant through the church of God, it is pettiness. We have to kill it and remain faithful. And I say that to myself just as much. They deserve it, right? Mama, I made it time to rub it in. They tried to get me down, but I rose up anyway, right? They couldn't stop me. 
Let's show all the haters who's on top now. Again, I was faithful despite their sin toward me, so I deserve to be petty. Oh, how those thoughts can creep in, am I right? Anybody? And maybe jo- Joseph struggled with some of those thoughts because he tested them. There's kind of conflicting sources on, is he, is he just testing them? Is he struggling with pettiness? Is it for their benefit? And maybe everything, right? Maybe he was struggling with that, but he was still well-intentioned here. But first he makes them go get their younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph doesn't know if they've killed the other youngest too. He has no idea. So they're like, go get him. Show him to me. He keeps one of them as prisoner as they go back to get Benjamin. Test, are, are you going to abandon this brother too? Maybe never come back? Then when they bring Benjamin, Joseph makes it, makes it look like he's a thief. And just as Joseph is about to imprison Benjamin for good, wink, wink, right? Another brother steps up and offers to take his place, and that's Judah. But Joseph's eyes are on God, and he's remaining faithful. Is he teaching them a lesson? Is he testing them? Yes, but thanks to some of the context clues, we, we know where his heart lies. We know that he's faithful in all circumstances here. And eventually this happens in chapter 45, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified. That is, terrified at his presence. Um, we got rid of you, and now all these years later, you're the second most powerful man in the world. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt like they forgot. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save, what? It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For for two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance and then listen to this. This can only come out of one whose eyes are locked on Jesus. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He did it. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. You didn't do this to me. So forgive yourself. God did. He knew. Joseph's eyes were on the Lord, Yahweh God. He forgives and he points his brothers, his betrayers, back to God and his plan in all of this. He uses their injustice against him and he points it upward and says, look what he did with what you intended. He said, God is faithful and so I can be faithful, faithful to forgive. You see, friends, Joseph didn't use his status and his power as an excuse to act however he wanted, right? He could have, but he didn't. Who was watching him? No one, except he knew. He had his eyes firmly planted on God, who would, many, many years later, teach us exactly the same lesson. Philippians 2, verse 5. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, all the way up here, if anybody, mama, he made it, he made it. He's all, he's, he, is, he is God himself, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Faithfulness. This has always been the definition of Christian success, has it not? This is how we say, Mama, I made it. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when our worldly possessions or our image or our status, when they don't define us, but our relationship with our Savior does, that's how we made it. When we begin to look and act and sound like Jesus instead of trying to look like the world's version of success. Because God is faithful and He is working and His plans are better than our plans. His ways are better than our ways. He is greater than anything this world has to offer. And let me just ask, who needs to hear that this morning? He is better than anything this world has to offer you. You will walk out of these doors and the world will say, Whew, now that you're done with that have some of this. You won't even get to your car before that happens. He is greater. He has more. Who've been chasing after the wrong things for a little bit this week? Let me raise my hand. Zoom out one last time on the story of Joseph. See, in Genesis 3, God promises after Adam and Eve and the serpent comes and tempts Eve and and the fall of man, after all of that happens, God promises the serpent that, hey, someone's coming one day. This is on the second page of your Bible. Just, it's like spoilers on the second page. It said, hey, someone's coming. Someone who will defeat evil and death and sin once and for all. And all the way through the book of Genesis, we see these people rise up and we wonder, are they the one? And they sin. We're like, all right, not you. Next. Right? Are you the one? Or or are you going to play a role in bringing about the one? And we get to the story of Joseph, and it's easy for us to think that because he gets so much real estate in the book of Genesis, it's like a lot of Joseph. that he's the one that God has chosen to bring along Jesus, right? To sire the Messiah. And, and he kind of is, a little bit. See, God is always doing something bigger than we realize. Isn't it fun to look back on your life and go, you sneaky God. I knew you were up to something, right? Like, look what you did. I had no, I was like over here like floundering and God's like piecing together all these beautiful pieces. It's always doing something bigger than we realize. We just got to be faithful. Joseph got sold into slavery so that he could store up grain, so that his brothers wouldn't starve, so that his brother Judah could go on to be the great, 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 great grandfather of a man named David who would go on to be the great, 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 great grandfather of a baby in a manger named Jesus. 
Joseph got sold into slavery so Judah wouldn't starve. You see? It isn't even about Joseph. It's about Judah. Our faithfulness is not so we can be rewarded or so that we can gain something for ourselves. Our faithfulness in the low moments, and especially our faithfulness in the blessings of this broken world, are to magnify and glorify God, first and foremost, to be a blessing and a light to others, and to play a role in the beautiful and perfect plan that God has for this world. That's why I'm faithful, not to get something from him. If my faithfulness gets you something, I win. You see that? My faithfulness is, is more to bless you than it is to bless me. Isn't that wild? And, and God still promises that when you're faithful, and when you're faithful and you're not looking for blessing, I'm going to bless you anyway. It might not be what you're looking for, but I'm going to bless you. And his plan is greater, so it is a perfect blessing. Isn't that neat? Isn't our God cool? I texted a couple of my friends this morning, and this was the text. Hey, guys, isn't the Bible neat? And one of them was like, yeah, but why'd you say that? I was like, I don't know. I just like it. <laughs> isn't it cool how it all works together? I don't know, I'm a nerd. So, friends, keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow his example. If you don't know his example, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, if you've never interacted with this, if you've been burned by church and you're like, this is not the same thing that's coming across from all the believers that I've known throughout my life, just go read the book of John. Read the book of Luke. Go, 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 go read Jesus, okay? And when you do that, when you see him act, follow his example. You don't follow my example, Right? I'm falling broken just trying to follow Jesus too. You don't follow Kyle's example. We're doing the best we can, but you follow the example of Christ. You keep your eyes firmly planted on him and don't get distracted by the blessings of Babylon. I'm going to invite the band up, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to close the same way we do every week. We're going to sing praises to our God. But before we do that, I'm going to make, I'm going to make one more plea, all right? Don't walk out of here the same way you walked in. Like, it might be a vague statement, but it means something to each and every person. Because, listen to me, you, you, it doesn't matter where you are in your faith. You, there is a next step to be taken, right? I used to tell students that, that this life and our walk with God is kind of like a treadmill. If you ever think that you can just stand still and stop walking toward him, you're going to move backwards. <laughs> Eventually fall off the back, right? Get on YouTube. Take a step closer to Jesus. Like that, that, that might mean that might mean just kind of recalibrating. Take a breath, okay? Take a breath, tired Christian. Someone who's been working and you think that like if you work hard enough, God's blessings will come. Because that isn't how it works. Never been how it works. It'll never be how it works. Rest in Him. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, says Jesus. I will shoulder this load for you. You just be faithful. Start with one thing today. How can I just be faithful? Maybe it's that devotional that you wanted to start with the kids, right? Just do it. <laughs> like, just, 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 maybe it's just that one thing. 
Maybe it's that, maybe it's that prayer before bed with your spouse that feels super awkward and uncomfortable because it's like, just grab her hand, grab his hand. Hey, can we pray? One step of faithfulness. That's, that's it, right? That's it. Just the one. Start there. Start there. It might be remembering your identity as a bought and paid for child of God. Not listening to the lies of this world that say you're not enough. And so when you're scrolling on Instagram or you're scrolling on Facebook or you're seeing these picture-perfect people knowing that's not my goal. My goal is to be a bought and paid for son or daughter of God, co-heir with Christ, adopted into the family. Maybe you just remember that for a minute. It might be turning to Christ for the very first time. You've never legitimately put your faith in Jesus. You've kind of like done little things here or there, like read your Bible once or twice or come to church or whatever it is, but you've never said, all right, it's all about you, God. It's all about you. Every single decision that I make will run through the filter of what do you want from me? I give you everything. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been flirting with it, but you've never just done it. Grab somebody. Grab, grab a believer next to you. Grab a pastor. Grab somebody up at the front here and just say, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. For the very first time, I'm all in. We'll deal with next steps because that is a next step, right? We'll help you from there. Take the opportunity in your heart with your family. Fix your eyes on him. Look at your current circumstances, where God has put you right now, and ask yourself, what does faithfulness look like right here, right now? What are you calling me to right now, God? And then pray. Oh, pray. Pray hard that he would, take, that he would help you take that next step. Sometimes we know what the next step is, but we're real timid. But God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline, Scripture says. I mean, if you want someone to pray for you, here's the trick. You don't have to come up to the front. You sure can. We encourage you to, but you can also grab a brother or sister next to you. Someone who, who brought you here. Someone who you know. Someone who you love. A brother or sister that you see every Sunday who you know is walking this path with you. Grab them on the shoulder and just say, can, I just, can you pray for me and can I pray for you? And can you help me be faithful? And I'll help you be faithful because isn't that what we're doing here, church? What else are we doing here? Right? Why am I not just sitting at home away from all of you people? I can get sermons, lots of places. I can't get you. Grab a shoulder. Pray for me. Let me pray for you. Don't leave here entertaining ideas of worldly success. Leave it at the cross. I love you, and I am so glad I got the opportunity to speak this morning. It's such a wake-up call for me, too. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We know that you have been faithful every moment since eternity past. You will be faithful into eternity future. You're faithful in the things that we don't think are important, the things that we don't think matter to you, the little things. God, we need you to help us to be faithful, to take that next step. And the closer we get to you, you, you say, abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. That fruit, that work of the Spirit in our lives, that's faithfulness. We cannot be faithful without you. And so help us to take one step closer to you. Draw us near. Help us to identify with wisdom. What is that next step for me and my family? How do I help them do that? How do I take a step toward Jesus?
and we thank you for this time this morning, and we just lift our voices now, but more than our voices, God, we lift our hearts. Even just in quiet, mouth closed, we lift our hearts, God. It's not about whether we can sing, it's about the posture of our heart, looking directly at you saying, help, and we love you, and we do. It's the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. To connect with us about what your next step with Jesus might be, or even if you need help figuring that out, you can text the keyword FATHOM to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. You can also go ahead and type in the search bar of your podcast app, Fathom Beyond Sunday, and there you'll find our new podcast. You'll be able to listen in on some really great conversations, just taking the truth of God's word from our Sunday sermon a step further, talking about how we can apply these truths to our everyday lives between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.